So my name is Ruguiro Valente. So I think Valente would be easier. Valentin, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to have you. This is your first time podcast, so that's super exciting. We're very honored to have you join FS Jam for your first podcast interview. You work for the company Fly or uh, Fly.io. It's a really great global deployment company that I've been learning a little bit about over the last couple months. I would love to hear a little bit about what Fly is, and then we can get into your background and how you learned to code. I'm going to give a perspective on Fly as I see it. So there is what we like to give to our customers, but there is Fly as I understand it. So Fly is a cloud provider in the same image as the likes of Heroku, but the unique thing about Fly is we take people's applications and run them close to their users. We have different physical servers around the world in different regions and the app you run, we take the app as a Docker image and run it as close to your users as we can. To paraphrase that, I think Fly is like a CDN but for web applications instead of content. That's a, a great way to put a, a CDN for web applications and for Docker and containers. And I'm someone who has just kind of been learning Docker recently. Like I went through a boot camp and they don't really teach you Docker in boot camps. Maybe they do a little bit in some, but I didn't really get that kind of experience. And I found that Docker has a steep learning curve, but once you get the basics down, it's actually like really nice and can be incredibly powerful and do a lot for you with just like a couple simple commands and you live in Rwanda so we're, we're really happy to get the perspective of someone you know in a very different area than where I'm from and so I would love to know just how you got into coding like how you learned to code what kind of compelled you to go down this journey around 2012 in I think in senior three so that's like ninth grade me and a couple of my friends, we were interested in computers and in science in general, but looking at the, at the resources that I had at the time, I thought maybe I couldn't make as much of an impact in something like biology or, or physics because it required resources that I didn't have at the time. But I thought I can do a lot with just the computer and the connection. I started at that point but my parents didn't get it around here parents think if you're not a doctor or an engineer what the hell are you doing with your life so i had to climb that mountain to convince them so by the time i was done with secondary school that's like in 2016 there is uh, this university that's called kepler so it's supported by uh, i think it's a british university i don't remember what the name but they had two MIT students who were on maybe their vacations, but they wanted to make an impact outside of school. So it was maybe the last year of uni, but so they started to do something with their time, their time off. They started a boot camp. They were teaching us Python and how to use it to collect data, analyze it, and do something, make basically something with it. So at the time, there was this company that, that was trying to to introduce solar panels, solar electricity in, 
in remote areas in Rwanda where the, the grid doesn't reach. Our job was to collect uh, the data from their solar panels and try to, to create the, the best case scenarios in which they could put the solar panels to generate as much electricity as they could. It was the first uh, real experience I had with, with code. Otherwise, I only could read books. At some time, I didn't even have a computer, so I had to code with, to write code on the paper. So at the, when I got a computer, I would go and write the code I had on my papers. Starting 2016, I was coding in Python. After the bootcamp, which, is, which was like uh, four months, I continued, I taught myself Python and Django and Flask and started, started, started writing some, some web applications. But in 2018, there is this friend of mine. He was studying in a, a university in America, in Nebraska. And he came to me and said, you got to check this thing out, this thing called Go. I was like, Go? No, Python is the language. But uh, since we have been friends since, since secondary school, I tried it and I loved it. From 2018, I programmed mostly in, in Go on my own projects, friends telling me to do some projects for them. But what moved me to the next stage, I think, is uh, trying to contribute to open source. Contributing to open source is actually how I, uh, I find out uh, about Fly. So I was looking for an alternative for Heroku, but an alternative that was using the technology that I like. So I like to complain about the tech I use a lot. So if I'm using maybe Google or AWS, people like to complain about the AWS documentation. So I was complaining about those things too. So that's when I discovered Fly. It was eye-opening. Besides the fact that it was easy to use, uh, it was very familiar because I used Heroku a lot, but the technology they were using behind the scenes and talking about on their blog, it attracted me. So at the time, I was trying to, to get to into infrastructure, mainly on Docker and I think Firecracker. So Firecracker is a virtual machine manager out of AWS. They use it on the Lambda product. Basically, it runs very small micro VMs. I think that's how they call them. It's open source. So I was looking for an article about, about Firecracker. By accident, I discovered it on the Fly blog and decided I should move all my applications on Fly. So once I was on Fly, I really liked to talk with them on, on, the, on the forum. On the community forum, I asked questions, tried to solve some, some problems I had encountered. So this one time there was a, someone who was complaining about something about logs, collecting logs and uh, pushing them to external services like maybe to S3, for example. And I took that up. I contributed some code because I need that the logs myself. So I decided I was going to contribute the code that I, I needed to use the, the applications. Actually, the folks at Fly, I think they liked it. What showed me that they liked it, I think I saw a, a blog post in, on Slack talking about how they liked this dude who was asking. 
a lot of questions and bugging them all day long. I thought to myself, this is this is the, the post that actually got me hired. My journey is like that. There is a lot I think I would like to share, but in a few words, that's all. That's an awesome story. And it's great that they recognized you and that they, they saw that you were interested in this and wanted to, to bring you on. It's also awesome to hear that open source was a way you got in because that's a, a huge part of my story. I, I got involved with open source through Redwood and that's what led to me eventually getting noticed for my job. And you mentioned a couple pieces of tech there that we should dig into a little more and, and define some terms for people because Docker is something that you can use without really necessarily knowing how it works or you can kind of like learn how it works under the hood and never really learn how to use it but i think it's pretty useful to have at least a somewhat understanding of why it was even invented in the first place and you always hear these conversation about the difference between a container and a vm and a vm is a virtual machine and when we think of things like amazon ec2 those are vms and the idea being that they would take bare metal a machine for you and load up a virtual operating system on top of it. So you could have any kind of Linux you want. You don't necessarily need to have like one specific box to run one specific type of Linux. You can run any kind of them because you're virtualizing the machine itself. But then you're taking up this whole machine to run what could be a very simple kind of hello world application. What you want to do is you want to be able to take a machine and partition off different pieces of it for different applications. And then this is where we get into containers. It's a way to have almost just like a process running that is your application. Now, what's interesting though is what you're saying is that we're running Docker containers on VMs. <laughs> and the reason why this actually isn't a dumb thing to do is because we have this thing called Firecracker. And Firecracker is what's known as a quote unquote micro VM, which is something that I don't really know a ton about, but I know the broad idea is it's like splitting the difference down the middle between the VM and the container. It's like the smallest kind of VM you can get. That's not quite a container. So then you can run a bunch of containers on it. And I'd be curious, Chris, what your experience is. It's like, you obviously have run Docker before. I don't know if you've used it a ton. How do you tend to think of like this kind of split between like VMs and Docker? I'm definitely not a Docker expert. I would definitely class myself as I hacked it enough to get it working and that's about it using Docker Compose. If you ask me what's the difference between Docker and Docker Compose, I have no clue. Docker Compose is just like this YML file that just tells it what to do in my eyes and it works. I've used Docker in the past, but my process manager of choice at this stage in my development career is actually PM2. I know both of them are quite controversial to each other. Yeah, you could Dockerize PM2 if you wanted to. So you can mix and match these things. Yeah. And what you're saying about Docker Compose, Docker Compose is a higher level abstraction on Docker. So you can have a single Docker file that can contain like a node application. But then you can also have another Docker file that is your React app. And then you can create a Docker Compose file that will run both of those containers simultaneously and kind of package them together into like one thing. The difference is being is just the API. So if you're in development mode and you can use Docker, Com Docker and Docker Compose, 
you have your Docker daemon running on your machine, but if you move to you want to move to production and you want to use Fly, the API doesn't change a lot. So we use a command called flyctl, which is it's what we use to to fly your applications on the platform. It's almost the same as as Docker. So people who have used Docker are they don't take too much time to start using Fly. Behind the scenes, it's not actually Docker a Docker engine that we are running. You take your Docker image or a Docker file, but and transmoglify it. That's the term we like to use. I think it's maybe Kurt who invented it. I don't remember. <laughs> and we transmoglify them into Firecracker uh, VMs that we run on different in- physical infrastructure around the world. If you are a Docker user like Chris here, I, I think it, you would get fly right right away. Yeah, the times I messed around with it, what I liked about it is, as you say, if you already know Docker, you can get going pretty easily because what it will do is you'll you'll install the fly CLI, fly cuddle, which I think is influenced by kube cuddle, which is a Kubernetes command line tool. But um, it's not really like running Kubernetes at all. It's much more like just running straight Docker. And that's a whole nother giant rabbit hole we, we could go down there to between kubernetes and docker but when you just have a docker file you can run fly launch and then it will look at your app and spit out this fly.toml file and so the fly.toml file is your infrastructure's code thing and we see this with render you have a render.yaml you see this with netlify you have a netlify.toml it's just some sort of hunk of code that is configured to do something with the platform so if we get a little bit into like like what fly.toml is doing and how you introspect an application, how you kind of figure out like what needs to happen with it. So I would like to go just a little behind in our infrastructure and maybe give uh, an overall picture of how things look. So when you you run FlyCTR deploy, we receive a Docker image. So maybe you have Docker on your machine and we use Docker to build your application, and then we upload that to the image to the a, a registry, a Docker registry that is running on Fly. And from there, we take that image and run it with Nomad, uh, HashiCorp Nomad. Instead of running the likes of maybe Kubernetes, we are using Nomad uh, because Nomad uh, can be configured to use another driver which is not Docker. So. Instead of using Docker or another application running behind, we use Nomad to drive a bunch of Firecracker VMs. So the image, we download it from the registry and build a file system. So the file system is a combination of the content of your image and a Linux kernel that we provide. Then we boot the init that is provided by that kernel. Everything else from there runs as it has been set by your Docker image. So, uh, but we need to get traffic to that. So the primary the primary role of fly.toml is to provide the, the HTTP configuration to get traffic to your application. So there is a section which is called handlers and it may have maybe a t- a TCP handler or an HTTP handler, depending on your application. So maybe you want to run a Postgres DB, uh, which is which you want to expose to the to the public. So 
in that section you are going to put a TCP as your handler, or maybe you want to just run a, a TCP handler, or maybe UDP. So some people are running DNSs on, on fly, and that's actually possible. What happens is there is this application, which is one of the reasons I actually joined fly. Fly proxy is written in Rust. It runs on our edge servers and on our workers. So on the edge servers, it directs traffic back to the, the workers that are actually running user applications. And depending on what has been defined in the fly terminal, it decides on which port to direct traffic that is coming from the edge. So that's the primary role of, of the flight to ML file. So another thing you can do is, it's not long ago that we have added volumes, but people were asking for them and we added them. And actually uh, now we have a Postgres database that is available on the, on the platform, but you can also define volumes in that flight to ML file. And volumes are like storage? Like, is that what volumes are? Yeah, storage, yeah. The API actually looks like the volumes that are in Docker, but behind the scenes, so there are thin volumes, LVM volumes that are on each host. Some hosts have them, but some don't. But Nomad actually decides where to schedule your application depending on which hosts have, have volumes available. For the most part, those are the things that you define in FlightWMR, so you can also define environment variables in there. But if you have things that are secrets, we recommend that you use fly secrets. So for example, your, your passwords, it would not be a good thing to put them in that file. So we have also secrets. So basically that's everything that you can define in FlyCTL. But reading the documentation, there is a lot of possibilities, which is why people always surprised us, surprise us with things they, they can actually do with that. Maybe an example that I'm going to give is myself. So trying to see what I, I could do with, with Fly, I tried to run a Kubernetes cluster on my machine and I wanted to give it a load balancer that is on Fly. So I wanted to deploy H proxy on Fly and it would use the, the WireGuard network, that is the private network, that, is, that network of Fly uses to connect all its, its hosts and it would take traffic that's coming from the internet from a fly app and send it back to me on my machine. So that's one of the reasons that I, I wanted to, to try fly, fly because it could make something that, like that possible. That's great. And I want to get into the, the WireGuard stuff in a little bit. But before we go any deeper and get any more technical, we should set a couple baselines here and just say, like, why would someone want to do this? Like, why do you need containers? Why do you need a global network? Like, why can't I just spin up an EC2 like we've been doing for over a decade? Like, what's the point of all this stuff? I'm going to speak as from the pers by my own perspective, be be because before I became a a an employee at Fly, I was a customer. Running VMs is actually harder than running containers, because if you look back in history, I actually think Heroku are the first people who actually popularized containers, not as Docker containers, but containers in general. Deploying on Heroku was a very good experience. You just provided the Git repository and they did everything else. When I tried to deploy something on DigitalOcean, so around here, most people try to use, DigitalOcean is more popular than AWS. So as I said, the 
AWS documentation are very notorious. So DigitalOcean, it was uh, easier than AWS, but when I tried it, I spent a lot of time trying to, confu to configure my, the VM itself, installing the packages. On something like Heroku or Fly, don't, you don't have to deal with that. You have an image if you are ex an experienced Docker user, you can use that. But there is this thing called build packs. You, uh, it was introduced by Heroku. Later on, they made it open source. So it detects the kind of app we are running and just uses the right runner. So if you are using Deno or Node.js, maybe Flask, it just detects which one you're using and use it to build your application and deploys it. So for people who don't want to learn Docker, I think that's a great start. The other reason I, I used Fly instead of going with DigitalOcean or AWS EC2, on the team I was working on, we are a very small team. It was just me. I was the whole entire team. So I couldn't deal with configuring maybe load balancers, databases. It was too much for me. And all I wanted was to write just code. So discovering Fly basically had put in place everything else I needed. And all I had to do was provide my code and the configuration. I think it builds into the, that philosophy that Hiroki introduced, the 12-app manifesto, I think, 12-app? 12-factor 12 12 app, yeah, 12-factor 12 app. 12-factor manifesto, yeah. When I first discovered it, I ran away with it because when you are a small team, you don't want to deal with those other things. So I spoke about databases and load balancers, but there are other things too. So maybe you want a Redis, a Redis cache, you want a private network for your your apps that that maybe you're building microservices and you you don't want to expose parts of your infrastructure. If you're on AWS, you are going to have to learn how to, to configure that. That's a lot of work for someone who is working on a small team. I think that's the main reason that anyone would want to use Fly. Awesome. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of really great stuff. And uh, we'll link to the 12-factor app methodology in the, the show notes. That's something that I think we have gotten to the point where a lot of people will just learn to create projects that way without realizing that it was like ever done any other way. And the, the kind of idea with 12-factor with apps is like you separate your app from your configuration and like from your secrets. So you'll have like code that can just live in a Git repo, like a public Git repo that anyone can see. And then when you actually want to run it, then you spin it up on some sort of infrastructure and then you put in your keys. If you watch, you know, lots of programming tutorials these days, like that's just kind of how they show you how to do things. Like that's basically how I learned how to do things in my bootcamp. And there's a lot of benefits that the Heroku team goes into in the, the 12 factor kind of manifesto. But for me, I really just like the fact that it makes it possible to like decouple the application itself and have other people work on it because there's like so much that goes into just getting an application running in an environment that if you can get it so it's kind of like agnostic to its environment, then that's really useful in terms of both deploying it in different places, but also just having different people work on it. One of my biggest questions I have was we've just spoke about EC2s and just booting up an Ubuntu image on a cloud provider and how Fly is different. Would you say that Fly can be a bit overkill for a very small app? So you're a business and you know this app will only be used by 10 people, you know, B2B, 
that sometimes happens, is Fly a bit overkill for running a tiny API and a tiny bit of project, if that makes sense? Is it more sense to scaling applications than small applications? Or is it no matter what size the application is, it will scale and price to that size? Uh, I might be biased, but I think Fly is the right thing to start with because it goes with you. So we have a very generous free tier, but you can grow with it. So I started using Fly. I was coming from Heroku, and I think Heroku is... I think most people are using Heroku for very small apps, APIs, or maybe just a website or web application. And Fly provides the same services as, as Heroku, but I think it grows with you. So there are things that Fly makes, makes easy to implement if you want to add them later on without migrating from the platform you started with. So most people start from Heroku and later on they, think they outgrow it and go to something else like a virtual machine provider like the likes of DigitalOcean or AWS EC2. But if you start with your small app on Fly, I think it's not overkill. It's the right size. And this time, you don't have to migrate as you go. Fly will go with you because of those things that they have made simple that you were going to have to implement yourself on another platform, like maybe EC2. So on, on Heroku, I think they, they have that also. But in my experience, it gets very, very expensive as you grow. So you want maybe to add logs and log aggregation. You have to pay an extra bucks for that. But on Fly, the only thing they, they tax you for is the resources that you are consuming, uh, the RAM and CPU and for some apps, uh, the storage. On Fly's documentation and on the website, it says that it can turbocharge your Heroku apps, right? So it says it can turbocharge your Heroku apps. And Heroku is obviously a company, but what does a Heroku app actually mean? Is it a front end and a back end that has been configured to run on the Heroku platform? To explain this, I think I'm going to come back to that 12-factor app manifesto. Your app itself, it could be anything. Anything you can define in an image. Earlier, I said that Heroku is actually using build packs, which are, I think they invented them, but later on, many people adopted them and now they are being combined with Docker images to help people who don't want to deal with Docker directly deploy their app. So if I'm going to define a Heroku app, I think it could be anything that accepts traffic and give back a response. You define just a port, from that port your app is listening and it responds to requests from users. So I think I can define that uh, a Heroku app as anything that accepts traffic. Yeah, and just real quick to jump in with some history here. The build packs were created in 2011. And this is actually really interesting because Docker wasn't created until around 2013. So you're right that this actually predates containers in a lot of ways. And then they've now created something called cloud native build packs. So I guess that's probably closer to what we're, we're doing today when we're using them. I don't actually know the whole history, how they turned into cognitive build packs, but I think uh, Heroku played a, a, big, a big part in that. People came to realize that it was a great way to define and deploy applications, especially after I think these microservices architecture were popularized. 
So I don't have a, a long career in software engineering, but I tried to read the history, but before the microservices things and the Heroku's, people used to define the, their apps in as a whole single virtual machine and deploy one, the whole thing together. Majestic monolith, as they would say. Yeah, I think. So with microservices coming in, I think people wanted modular things and they copied the Heroku model and uh, with the likes of Kubernetes coming in, and that's how the cloud-native build packs were born. Going back to the turbo charging thing, I think most Heroku apps accept only HTTP traffic, but on fly, you can define a service that 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 takes raw TCP uh, packets or maybe even UDP packets. We can allow you a, a larger range of ports to for your app to listen on compared to to Heroku. That sounds awesome. And then my next question is regarding GraphQL. You say that with Fly you can back up Fly with Redis and Apollo to enable rapid GraphQL endpoints. Is that something that you're only going to get if you use that technology stack from the start? Or could you adopt them things later quite easily with Fly, as in putting Redis in front of your potential already made GraphQL endpoint? What Fly uh, tries to do is get out, get out of your way so you, you could build anything you want, I think. So we actually use GraphQL ourselves on the Fly API. So I didn't have experience with GraphQL before joining Fly. So sometimes I had just to copy queries other people had written for me. So to give you a, maybe a picture on how Fly is flexible when it comes to the type of APIs you are running, we actually running the Fly API on our own infrastructure. So I think they call it dog fooding. Yes, when you use your own service to build your service. Yeah, the fact that we we are just behind the scenes. So the most important piece when it comes to the kind of traffic we accept on on Fly is the Fly proxy. So it's written, as I said, it's written in Rust and it uses Tokyo. It's maybe I'm hoping so there are some Rust listeners to this podcast. Yeah, they are going to like the fact that we use Tokyo a lot. Yeah, Tokyo is the event loop because I learned about that from Dino. Yeah, we take the traffic that comes on the edge. So there are some parts of the infrastructure that I haven't been able to, to explore intensively, but the most important piece is the fly proxy and it can take, I think, three types of, of handlers. So there is one that handles the HTTP traffic and TCP traffic. And sometimes there is this road TLS. Some people want to handle TLS termination themselves. So we let them do that, but we are, most of the times we can do that for you. And uh, if you are running a GraphQL app, I think it's something you can do out of the box without any changes to your code. If we was to recommend Fly to somebody who is either really brand new and has built their application and now they need to deploy it, or somebody that has deployed 50,000 applications, you would be biasly optimistic that both parties would have a very, very good experience on Fly. I have actually tried to, to recommend it to some of my friends who are maybe very early in their career. My job is basically uh, most of the times I'm working on Fly CTL and Fly CTL is the door to the to the whole to our whole platform and 
I have tried to recommend it to some of my friends who are earlier in their career. So if they run, fly, launch, then fly, deploy, the feedback they give me is it's actually quite easy for people who are starting to, de to deploy their, their first applications. Anthony, do you have any more questions? Yeah, I was just curious to get a little bit into WireGuard. This is something that I saw in the docs and played around with a little bit. This is like a networking kind of thing. And as a bootcamp student, like networking is the absolute farthest thing from like what they're actually teaching you. So I didn't really know what it was, like why I needed it. I'd be really curious just to get a little bit into that. One of the reasons I, so that I have, talked about a lot of reasons that I wanted to join Fly, but the fact that they, they were using WireGuard was one of the reasons. So I joined Fly as most engineers join companies, of course, because they want to make money, but you have to be interested in the technology first. So I think that's uh, one way to be happy on your job. So I want to get further in my career concerning things that concern networking. So I had used VPNs before, but I didn't actually know how I would define WireGuard before I joined. So to put it in simple terms, I think WireGuard is a user space, a networking stack. On Linux, most of the networking is being controlled by the kernel and it adds some latency to, to your infrastructure. And for people like us who are building infrastructure for other people to run on, having something like WireGuard helps us remove that latency. But also I think the, the API, or the, it has a very simple API. So the first implementation, the most used implementation of WireGuard, I think there is this WireGuard paper, so I don't have a link. I can find that and we'll put it in the show notes afterwards. So there is uh, the WireGuard paper and there is the first implementation of WireGuard, which is WireGuard Go. And we use it that uh, user space, it's called the user space uh, networking stack. We use it to, to mesh together all our, our host and uh, our edge workers. But at some point, they, we decided that it would be a good idea to to make it available to, to users so they can connect to our platform. So for example, uh, I want to talk with something I have, I actually have experience with. Um, I'm currently working on FlyCTL proxy. So I don't know if you have ever used MGROC, I think. That's what they call it. NGROC, yeah. Yeah, I've used NGROC. It's a way to basically tunnel your, your local host to a network. NGROC, yeah. Um, Currently working on FlyCTL proxy that will give the same experience. So, for example, if you have a Postgres database running on, on Fly, each organization has its own private network that's, that's only accessible by apps and users in that organization on Fly. That proxy would allow, allow uh, you to, to connect to, the, to your Postgres database without, without exposing it to, to the internet. There is that WireGuard network that is subdivided peer organization and your apps have access to it. And there is a DNA, an internal DNS that map the, the IPv6 uh, addresses of each app in the network, in the WireGuard network has an IPv6 address. And we run an internal DNS to map the names of your apps to those IPv6 addresses. The welcome actually trying to do is to make it so you can connect to the apps that that do not have that handler defined for them. So if you don't define a handler in that fly.toml file, your app is only available from inside that private network. 
and to access it maybe you want to test maybe it's a postgres database you have to connect to the wireguard to the wireguard network currently we use there is a tooling around the around wireguard that we use and you generate a certificate and create uh, an ethernet device a virtual ethernet device on your on your machine that you connect through to access that that network and it's very complex so we are trying i'm trying to use the the proxy to to uh, lever leveraging wireguard go so that people could directly connect to the private network without going through all that gymnastics. Awesome. Yeah, that's a, like a really, really interesting project. So it's uh, I can see why, you know, once you kind of find out about a company like this, if, if you're into this kind of stuff, like it's just an endless playground of, of stuff to play with. The one last thing that I wanted to mention, and we'll drop a link to this, is that we actually have a Redwood Fly integration that has been in the works for quite a while. Kurt and Josh have helped out a ton with this. And this is our first real official like Redwood Docker integration because we've had users who have messed around with dockerizing their own application but we haven't really had like a docker opinion for redwood but this is now in the in the forms i wrote up a little tutorial of how to do this we're still kind of honing it to get like a, an actual like redwood cli command that will like set up for you but if you are so inclined right now today you can spin up a redwood app create a docker file and deploy it to fly and it works seamlessly I'm actually, Josh asked me earlier to, to look at the, the code he has written. So I didn't even know what Redwood was. So I had to explore it because uh, when I was reviewing the code, I, uh, I found something new uh, about Redwood. So I think I'm going to play around with it when we are done here. Cool. Awesome. Hit me up if you got questions. Would love to, to help out with that. Yeah. I guess my final question is where can the users find you? on the internet and if they have any questions where can we send them on twitter uh, there is this i think you you know my my handle it's uh, a code chef that's where I, I like to hang a lot i'm always on twitter that is a code chef yes a code chef like a chef who cooks code yep <laughs> I think my mom inspired that. So she likes to cook. So I thought maybe I'm not, I'm not a great cook, but I can be a cold cook. <laughs> and there is my GitHub handle. It's Rugio Baker. Great. We'll have links to that in the show notes. And then of course, just fly.io if you want to check out Fly. I really recommend any listeners who think that this may be something they need to check out Fly. As you mentioned, you have a very generous free tier. I've got like four or five apps running on fly right now. It's really sweet. It's really cool tech. I've learned a bunch just from poking around the docs and trying to figure out how it works and did a really awesome job for your, your first podcast. This is a super interesting conversation. I've already got a, a ton of things I want to follow up with and look at. So listeners, check out the show notes. We got a lot of links in there. And yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for inviting me. So actually, this is like, a, it's like a milestone for me. <laughs> So I'm very, very grateful for, to you and Kurt because he is the one who recommended me. So I had nerves at first, but I thought, uh, so everything has to start somewhere. So I'm, I went for it. Awesome, man. We did a great job. Thank you. Yeah, I think we all learn something. And I definitely need to go look up fly.io and maybe make a test deployment or two. Yes, definitely read the blog too. <laughs>